Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. This is episode number 90. Thanks for joining us. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. We have a real life stories edition with Kim Darnell, first time author Kim Darnell with the book Ready to Give an Answer. She's going to join us in just a second. But before we dive in, we want to say thank you as always. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can dive in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those kind of things. So like, share, subscribe. We hope that we just give you encouragement to keep grinding out that life for Jesus each and every day. We got some great content for you. Pray for us. We got 10 episodes until we get to the 100th episode edition. So the next couple weeks, we have all kinds of cool stuff lined up, some great real life stories, no price tag stuff. It is going to be really cool. So hope that you dial in and carry us through to the 100th episode. Without further ado, we're going to welcome, again, first time author Kim Darnell of the book, Ready to Give an Answer. Kim, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, welcome to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We're going to talk about your book, Ready to Give an Answer. But I was really, I was talking to our producer before the show. I was hoping this is going to be your first podcast ever. Is that true? It is true. Yes. All right. Applause. We'll add that in later on. So that's awesome. Well, you wrote a book called Ready to Give an Answer. It's really a memoir, a story, a testimony of who you are. But for full disclosure, before we dive in today, we have to let everyone know that back in the day, I used to be your youth pastor. (laughs) That is very true for pretty much my whole high school career. You were my youth pastor. Do you remember that? Do you remember? You have to think, you have to at least, before we conclude this podcast, share some story that just really throws me under the bus. <laughs> I'll try. You probably have multiple stories. I can just remember Rachel, uh, you know, trying to reel me in many, many times as a youth pastor back in the day. <laughs> I can remember many conversations where she would tell me, hey, you're not in the youth, you're the youth pastor, so act like one. <laughs> Well, I think that just kind of is the youth pastor personality. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right. Well, anyway, that's awesome. And man, I tell you what, time flies. It feels like a lifetime ago when that happened, but that was a precious moment in my life. And I still, to this day, think I'm a youth pastor in many ways. I believe that. Awesome. Well, let's dive into this book, Ready to Give an Answer. I guess before we really dive into that, why don't you just give everyone just a quick little bio of who you are? Well, um, I was not raised in a typical Christian family. I um, had parents who were believers, but um, didn't attend church regularly. And um, so I always grew up kind of believing that God was there, like almost like it was a given that, that God existed, but not really understanding um, what implications that had for my life. And so... Um, it wasn't until youth group that I really um, saw other young people not just believing in Jesus, but loving Jesus and like giving their lives for him and realizing that, wow, there's this whole different way to live life than what I've seen and my wild sisters and all of this, but um, that my life really uh, changed drastically um, during that time. Um, but obviously, uh, youth group um, gave me a really f- solid foundation, but um, going off to college, 
had some trials of really figuring out what it was for just me to grasp onto that rather than like my community of youth group friends. Yeah. And so really struggled <laughs> through some of that and um, struggled um, particularly um, with sexual sin. And um, then after getting married and realizing that, you know, my husband continued to battle with sexual sin kind of, um, my story has a lot to do with that and really grappling with having that hidden for so long in my life and feeling like I had to keep that hidden mm -hmm. um, in order to put on this show of um, like, I have it together. I'm an ambassador for Jesus and not <laughs> realizing that I was really robbing Jesus of glory by acting like it was all me having this great image and um, not showing that I needed him. And so I really feel like I did my sisters and uh, a disservice of putting on this front that I was perfect because I definitely gave them the impression that um, I was better than them. And that's why God heard my prayers. And that's mm. why God, um, wow. you know, listened to me or something like that. And um, so really, <laughs> uh, I started writing my memoir in college, my story of faith, and it was really to solidify it for me and for my sisters, because I felt like I couldn't talk to them about it, but I wanted to share with them mm -hmm. more about my faith and everything. And so it started as just a project for them. Like I wanted to share my heart with them. And it took years and years and years to finish it and to build up the courage to share it with them. And then when I did just this last fall, um, just got an overwhelmingly positive response and um, a lot of support to publish. And so... Cool. Um, here I am on this journey of letting the whole world know. <laughs> here you are ready to give an answer, you know, and, and, yes. <laughs> and that's for your faith. And that's, that's the thing is we're, we're all just people, regular people on a journey of faith, trying to figure out how to live for Jesus. And, you know, we have differing stories and in certain ways you kind of connect with my wife's stories. Like you're one of those people that are so awesome is that you were say you're so saved. You don't even know when you got saved, you know? Yeah, that's, you know, but, and, and, but that's fine. Even, you know, even when you grow up in that atmosphere, you still have to come to that place of discovery, that place where you have an answer for why you live for Jesus. And so yeah. that's, that's kind of the name of your book. And uh, I, I love it. I was reading through it again today and I got through the introduction and you, and you said in the introduction, even if you don't want to read the, the whole book, I'm going to give you the answer to the reason of my faith. And I wrote it down. It says, the answer, the reason I have hope in Jesus is because I have experienced him as the way and the truth and the life. Yeah. And so this, that, that was kind of springboarding, uh, that idea or thought kind of springboarded, uh, the, the thoughts and ideas behind the book. Is that correct? Yeah. I, um, I don't know exactly how that formulated in my mind. I think perhaps I heard a pastor say that a good way to share your testimony is to find a specific verse that like really means a lot to you and explain how it's personal to you. And um, so that's a verse that, I mean, literally as I look at my story, I feel like in childhood, like Jesus showed me he was the way. Mm. And during college, when I was faltering, like he showed me that he was the truth. And now in adulthood and all the challenges that I face, like he continues to show me that he is the life and that without him, you know, there's emptiness. And so that's just a verse that 
stood out to me and that like really grabbed my heart and that I knew was my story. That was like my personal way to express what I believe. Yeah. And then you kind of use that verse to divide the book into three different parts, the way, the truth and the life. I was reading through part one of the book talk. You titled that the way, and again, you kind of talked about how you don't really remember. I don't remember the day that I got saved. And you know, there's some people that have that experience. Again, my wife, even what's scary me now as a, as a pastor, my kids, Zoe and Gabrielle, my twin boys growing up in the life of the church. And, and I'm sure my daughters, they, they kind of have a little bit of that, that same thinking in a sense, you know, that they've just always been in the life of the church. They've always heard about Jesus. They've been a part of Jesus and, and, you know, whether it be kids camp and, you know, the youth group, even when they weren't youth, being part of youth group and seeing God, et cetera, et cetera. But that still doesn't excuse us from having to come to this moment where we encounter Jesus for ourselves. Yeah. And for me, I had a bit of a contrast of church life versus um, worldly life, I guess. Um, I, you know, I have three older sisters and, um, you know, that weren't really walking with the Lord as, as youth. And so, Mm -hmm. um, really watched them be typical worldly teens that, you know, partied and experimented with drugs and drinking and sex and all these things. And, um, so I really, you know, felt like, I knew what my life looked like without Jesus, and I knew when I came to youth group and saw this whole other way that I knew yeah. what my life could look like with Jesus. And so, That's like, cool. I had this contrast and um, really was enchanted by Jesus's way over the world's way because I didn't just see, like, oh, the glamour of the boyfriends and, you know, getting invited to all the parties, but I also saw, like, the throwing up and afterwards (laughs) and the breakups that were like really hard and um, all of that. So I had, you know, as a pretty young child, a a real taste of the world and, (laughs) and the church. So, yeah, that's cool. Well, and Kim, just as, as cute and perfect as you may seem uh, in person (laughs) and as uh, here's what I did notice in your book, I'm going to, I'm going to come at you right now. Right. You, you had a lot of boyfriends from a, a young age, Kim. I did. I felt like every chapter was like my boyfriend, this boyfriend, my boyfriend in elementary, <laughs> my boy. So you like the boys or what? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I do think that had a lot to do with my sister's influence. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, when you have older sisters, you want to be just like them, whether you're ready for that or not. And so, you know, I saw them with boys and honestly, it was like the first thing that I saw that like, mattered like someone that like felt something strongly about someone else and so like that's what I thought was meaningful and so that's kind of what I gravitated towards at first and then it was like in in realizing that yeah that that is meaningful to have a connection with someone but it's also empty I mean it can never truly fill you up a hundred percent like Jesus can yeah and I I just kind of bring that up because the reason I'm getting at that is sometimes, again, we point to the big struggles. We're like porn, uh, alcohol, drugs. Well, you know, there's a lot of other ways or struggles that the enemy wants to come at us or bring distractions or things that would take away our focus from following Jesus. And guess what? Sometimes it's boy. Sometimes it's a boyfriend. Sometimes it's a girlfriend. 
It's true. Yeah. So definitely. So um, that was your problem, Kim, is you, you had too many boyfriends. I think (laughs) you should have listened to pastor Rachel when she told you don't date, don't have boyfriends. Uh, but anyway, talk about uh, moving on. Talk to, talk to me a little bit about being a teenager and living for Jesus. And, you know, you having that recognition is like, wow, I don't want to do all this stuff. I don't want to do all these things that I'm seeing um, people do. And talk to me about that stage of life, being a teenager, trying to live for Jesus, following Jesus in the context of being a teenager in that culture, that time, etc. Well, I think what was um, really amazing about it was that um, I had a community that all kind of didn't just believe in Jesus, go to church, like nominal Christians. It was like our youth group had a bunch of young teenagers that really loved Jesus. And, um, and so like being around other people, that were excited about Jesus and wanted to get to school early and pray together and wanted to witness the people on their lunch break and um, wanted to, you know, spend a Friday night worshiping and, um, you know, all these things that seemed, you know, maybe really weird to normal high schoolers was like <laughs> yeah. something that was just inspiring. And I think it's, it's easy for teenagers to get pulled away when they don't have that community of close friends that are actually chasing after Jesus. And I was so fortunate to have our youth group crew that, that really did chase after Jesus. Yeah. And I, I tell people all the time, that's what I loved about being your youth pastor in that time is that we had an authentic group of kids that really wanted to chase Jesus. I genuinely believe that. Like we had, we had youth group times where our, our funnest times were, were not, uh, the silly stuff, it was like, oh, prayer meeting or prayer walking or, you know, those those yeah. encounter moments with God. I really felt like you guys grabbed hold of that. Yeah. So on that note, I am a pastor. So part of my job is is trying to force people to come to church, right? It's like, uh, because we're <laughs> seeing that value decrease in the lives of people. So can you, I know you just kind of did a little bit, but could you hit on that again, whether it be a young person that's listening right now or a, y- a younger person or even a parent or grandparent that's listening, could you just reiterate that importance for them to be involved in a youth group in the life of the church as a young person? Yeah. And I mean, not just youth group, but like as an adult, like, we need community. I think that that's one of the main messages that God has put on my heart and that I hope shines through the book is that, you know, we can, we can believe in Jesus and be an island in isolation and, and deceive ourselves into thinking all sorts of things about how good we are and, you know, how lucky Jesus is to have us for his daughter and all these things. Um, but it's when we're in community and we're actually open and vulnerable with each other and we're confessing our sins to each other and we're praying for each other and holding each other up and inspiring each other, spurring each other on towards good works that like, man, there's just passion and joy and life there. That's like the abundant yeah. life that I've found. And so uh, I really experienced that in youth group and I'm so thankful that at a young age, like I knew that that was what life was. And so I could, I could remember that in times of trial and, and know that that wasn't just a phase that, you know, oh, well, you know, I was just <laughs> right. an emotional team, yep. but like that exists <laughs> now, like in my church, my community is, 
amazing. And I know that without them, I would falter. Like wow. I know that I need community. So we have a team. I think it's, we have a teenager in our studio right now listening to you. His name is Aaron. He, he doesn't have a live mic, but, you know, Aaron, are you listening? Okay, good. All right, so your words are powerful right now. Well, let's move on to part two, talking about the way, and then you went on to the truth. I think what's so fascinating in my own life, I know this sounds kind of weird, but you look at your own life in hindsight, and you're like, wow, I, the Jesus journey is so awesome, because it's like, I never would have guessed I would be here, 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 et cetera. So, I mean... I would never never have guessed I was going to be a youth pastor in Northern California, and I would never have guessed I'd be sitting here in Southern Missouri uh, pastoring this church called Grace Point. You know, God is, God is so awesome. And what's funny is you you kind of kind of laugh at your own Jesus journey at times, but then as a pastor, you get to watch the journeys of other people and predict or like, I wonder what's going to happen. And what's funny now for us, you Kim and I, in, in as adults, really not that much an age difference a little bit, but, you know, thinking back of you as a teenager, oh, like, I wonder where she'll end up or what's going to happen. You know, those thoughts as a youth pastor going through my head, you know, and, and now where you're at today. But, you know, so you had that phase of being a teenager in youth group involved. And then part two, you begin to talk about the college experience. And that was another time of transition in your spiritual life. Walk us through that. Yeah, so um, I guess the big, the big springboard of challenge was the fact that I had dated the same boy for pretty much the whole high school experience, and so when we broke up, it really, um, it really kind of wreaked havoc on my faith because um, I had believed that God had brought <laughs> us together and that we were meant to be and that, you know, like it, it felt like a God issue to me. But if we broke <laughs> up, then I I couldn't hear from God right or I didn't understand God. And so um, I think that's kind of what began my crisis of faith and then just spiraling from there of um, really not having that same community that I had before and having to like stand on my own two feet and realize that like my faith is weak and that, um, you know, I really don't know what it looks like to live for God in college. And I really don't know, um, how to shine for Jesus. And I'm feeling just discouraged all the time. And so, um, yeah, it was a really hard time <laughs> to, um, Honestly, um, what made a difference for me was, um, well, I just had this kind of big moment one night at Campus Crusade for Christ meeting um, where, you know, I just really felt stuck in sin and um, discouraged and all these things, but I was still going to Campus Crusade, you know, I was still really um, trying to keep up my disciplines trying to keep up my image, all of that. And so um, when I was at one of those meetings one night, <clears throat> the speaker said something along the lines of, don't focus on what you don't understand, focus on what you do understand and choose not to live by. Mm. And those words just stuck out at me of like, okay, there's a lot that I don't understand about the mind of God and <laughs> what is going yeah. on in my life. But um, I understand the gospel. Like I understand that Jesus is real and that he loves me and he died for me. And like, that is my anchor. Hmm. And that's cool. And I just need to hold on to that. And so that's, I think when I began writing my memoir, because I was like, I need to know that this is my anchor yeah. and like, 
I need to know it for me as well as for my family and these people that I want to share it with. I think we get, I, I, for me as a pastor, I think we get a little caught up in like, who am I and what am I supposed to do rather than sometimes I just don't want to, you know, kind of punch people in the face a little bit and just be like, just, just focus on following Jesus, J- just serve him. Yeah. Like you're so yeah. caught up in like, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? What's my calling? And like, you know what? Your calling is to know him. Yeah, That's it. And you know what? You, you'd be amazed at if you just make that your focus, all that other stuff comes into alignment. I mean, it's, it's a verse that we've said many times before, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. When you just make that simple focus of, fo- of following Jesus, the, the primary, the focal point of your life, it's amazing how just that other stuff will come into alignment. And uh, because you and your life, I mean, at this time, for people who are listening, I mean, you're this teenage girl, you're from Northern California, and you take a radical jump of faith. You go to North Central University, the best university in the entire world. I mean, many great <laughs> legends have come from that particular college. I, I won't mention all of them, but I do know some of them anyway. I, I, I'm, that's my alma mater anyway, but you know, you shift from, I mean, that's a big shift from, from Northern California to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And now you're in this phase of life where you're kind of trying to figure out who you are. And then in your book, you, you, uh, did you go there for one semester and then you go back to Reno? Oh, one year. Okay. One year. And then you shift back to Reno, Nevada. So did it feel like life was a whirlwind in that point? Yeah, I definitely resonate with what you're saying. I mean, I think I was so caught up in, I want to know God's plan for my life. I need to know God's plan for my life. And I'm so frustrated that I don't. And um, a lot of that frustration came from having this expectation of myself of, of, yeah, I want to go and be a missionary. And then when it felt like that didn't click, feeling ashamed of that, feeling like, Mm. okay, well, um, you know, whatever else there is seems maybe like a lesser goal or like a lesser calling. And um, so, yeah, I think a lot of discouragement and pressure and just kind of needless worry comes from that uh, idea of feeling like you have to put yourself into a box of this is my calling. And I would say I'm like at a point in my life where you know, I still wonder, um, you know, what I'm doing now is not what I'm going to be doing forever. (laughs) And um, Mm -hmm. I still wonder, you know, what is my unique calling? But it's like, I, you know, you preach a good word that it's not so much about figuring out God's plot for your life. It's just about being obedient each day and, and, you know, following him and seeing what he has for you. Yeah. We're obviously focusing on your story, not my story, but I had a almost a year where I resigned from being lead pastor of a church and I got comfortable in in that position and that leadership role. And then I took a radical step of faith. I I stepped down, I resigned. I moved my family all the way to the other side of the country, pretty much to the East coast to South Carolina. And I was stripped. I was no longer a senior pastor. I was no longer on staff at a church. I was in a city where I literally did not know a single person. And, And it was, was a year of struggle, but it was, it was so good at the same time. Cause I just had to realize like, Jeremiah, uh, uh, being a lead pastor, that's not your identity. That's not who you are. You're, you're my son. I, I, I want to know you that, that, that's just a job. That's not who you are. And so I think yeah. God all for all of us will take us through times and seasons of life to kind of strip us of those things that don't really matter and bring us back to what really matters, which is who we are in Christ. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we get one other thing I want to touch on in part two, and we'll transition over to part three was at the end of part two, when you're making this transition, you go back from North central to Reno, Nevada, and you were talking about how that you had a roommate named Matt and you went through this kind of time in this season where he was at this point, he was talking about, he was going to take a break from church and you had this interaction. Uh, talk to me, talk to us about that, uh, how you dealt with that and your, your feelings on that and, and how you process that. Oh, that was really hard because I was at a point where I was struggling in my faith and uh, really needing strong uh, Christian brothers and sisters to lean on. And then to have my roommate say like, Hey, I'm, I'm like taking a break from this whole thing um, was heartbreaking. Like the Holy spirit that was still with, you know, inside of me, even at point of struggle was, was heartbroken. But, um, you know, there was also the seed of, um, you know, the flesh and the enemy within me that, that resonated with him and said like, Mm -hmm. huh, maybe, you know, I don't think that taking a break from the church is, is the answer for me, but like maybe it could be. And so, yeah, just really struggling with that from both ends. Um, but mostly feeling really broken over that and feeling like I, I didn't think that that was the way to go. And, um, and telling him that, <laughs> but yeah. not really knowing how to be there for him when I was at such a point of weakness, because I wasn't honest with anyone about my weakness at that point. And so um, I just felt like I had to, you know, say what I was supposed to say rather than like say, hey, what are you struggling with? I'm struggling too. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of doing that, I said, you know, that makes me sad. I wish you would reconsider. You know, mm. I didn't, I didn't get real with him at all. And I should have. Wow. That's good. That's good to know that, uh, you know, some of our friends and people we're walking through the journey of faith with that we, we be careful of our reactions. And I guess I go to this place as a, again, as a pastor, blah, blah, blah. Um, sometimes <laughs> I, I know like we give these kind of phony answers as a Christian. It's kind of like, I don't want to say they're phony, but someone's walking through a struggle and it's kind of like, well, just, read your Bible and pray or just go to church. And I think we got to go to greater depths and um, people deserve more than that. You know, as a pastor, you know, if I'm kind of like, man, I'm just struggling pastor, I'm walking through this. And I was like, well, just read your Bible and pray. You know uh, it's more than that. And people, people need more than that to success, Mm -hmm. successfully navigate the journey of faith. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you a pointed question. Is it a good idea or would you suggest people today that are going through a struggle, a hard time in their faith that they take a break from church? (laughs) Uh, Definitely not. I think that when you're going through struggle, you need to reach out to the people around you and tell them about it and open up to them and let them speak into your life. And that's what's going to fuel you to keep going. And, um, you know, that's a hard step to take, especially if you feel really ashamed of whatever you're struggling with. But, um, you know, the Bible says if we confess our sins one to another and pray for one another, we will be healed. And I mean, I've experienced that in my life. And I mean, I just, it's such a beautiful verse that we, that we think, oh, like there's a time and place for that. But like the time and place for that is every day. It's mm-hmm. always, we all need Jesus. We all need to confess to each other. And yeah, it can be awkward and 
at times it's really not glamorous, especially if your sin is hurting someone else. I mean, you might get some, some pushback from it and it might feel really hard for a while, but, um, ultimately that is the way to move forward and your faith will be made stronger and your relationships will be made stronger. Yeah. Greg, as a guy listening to this story for the first time, what's your take? Oh, it's wonderful. I actually, I had a question for Kim. Kim, I have a daughter that's 24 years old and she's been married now for three years. And when she started middle school, I I was really kind of contemplating, okay, how do I, how do I raise her in this? Because I knew the issues that she was going to face with, you know, the, the sex thing, the boys, the, the drugs, the, all the peer pressure, everything that we've all been through. We know what that's like. I didn't want my daughter to experience that. So what I did with her, the approach that I took with her, for one thing, was a lot of prayer. But I was honest with her. I mean, I was really honest with her about the whole party scene, about the whole sex scene, about uh, everything along those lines. And it actually, I mean, it, it worked to, to just, to put it plainly, it worked. The man that she married was her first for everything. I mean, it's, there's no embarrassment there towards, towards my daughter or anything. I mean, she'll, she'll tell you that. What would you say to a young girl now who is in that, is in that situation as far as, I guess my question is, do you think that I did the right thing? I mean, would, would that have been, would that benefit a person in that situation to just be super honest with them? Because I know like when, when I was going through middle school and high school, I mean, we, we weren't a Christian family and I had no idea what I was going to be facing. Mm-hmm. And I myself fell into all of that sin. Yeah. So that's why I tried the different approach. So my question is, what, what, what would you say to someone like that? Do you think I took the right approach with her? I do. Um, and the, the thing that I would add about being honest that I think the church can grow in um, just from, <laughs> from learning a lot about um, sexual sin and sexual healing um, in the past years is um, that I think the church tends to err on the side of, of painting the sin of it and not the beauty of it. And so like, we're very silent about, man, God created sex to be this really beautiful thing between a husband and a wife. And it is this covenant. It is this picture of how much God wants to lavish his love on us. And, um, you know, I missed that. I just, I didn't get it. And so for me growing up, I felt like sex was dirty. And so like, I felt you know, very ashamed of my sin, but I also felt like even in marriage that there was a part of me that still thought that sex was dirty. And so I think that as parents, and I'm a parent now, and that one of the things that I really want to emphasize with my children is that, um, man, sex is awesome. And like, let's study about like God's design for sex. And you can see then the contrast of how sin distorts it and just turns it into mm, something wow. ugly versus yep, something right. beautiful that God made it to be. Right. Amen to that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm talking to Rachel here every once in a while. All right. Moving on to part three <laughs> here. Um, we get into part three and we're going to ask a few more questions and close it out. But talk to me a little bit about pornography. Chris Darnell, what, what's awesome. You have an amazing husband. I, I, 
my, I think if, if there's one person I will forever remember being a youth pastor, it was Chris Darnell. I mean, that is <laughs> the most epic remembrance of my time. I'm so grateful. Uh, you had, you have a great husband, a godly husband, uh, a, a guy who's been used by God for a long time, but is like a lot of guys uh, who had a struggle with pornography, uh, uh, had to break free of that in the context of marriage and relationships. Touch on that for us. Oh, well, it has been a long journey. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we, I really want to be part, we both now really want to be part of the solution of breaking the stigma of feeling like, that's a sin you can't talk about. And I think yeah. that's what kept him stuck in that sin for so long of mm. feeling so ashamed that like, that's not something you can confess. You can confess, you know, if you, if you lied to someone or if you cheated on a test, but you can't confess that. And, um, and so, I mean, it was years and years that it was in the dark and it's not until something comes into the light that you can begin to be free of it. And so, mm. um, and honestly, you know, we went through several, episodes of you know it being like in the light but just for us because it still felt too shameful so like it's in the light to me but no one else and then like okay well the next time this happens maybe we need to let a couple you know that's mentoring us in on it but that's it and it wasn't until very recently that we decided like hey we need this completely in the light we're going to tell all of our closest friends we're going to tell our church group and we're going to like ask for their prayer and their accountability. And we're just going to surround ourselves and just be open about this, mm -hmm. that like we've seen radical change. And so I think that's a big message that the Lord has laid on my heart is just how important honesty and vulnerability is within the church. Yeah. I think I've tried I don't know if this is the right way of saying it, but gone are the days of like, Oh, you have a, you have tattoos. Oh, you watched porn. Oh, you did drugs. You, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the church needs to become this haven for broken, real people to come to, to be real people, yeah. to be healed, to be restored, to be touched, to just, again, just, I know it's been, it's not just this generation. It's been every generation where we just have to, man, week after week, continue to just kick that religious spirit right out of our churches. So people can come in and authentically, connect with the one true, real, powerful Jesus and be changed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I would say to anyone listening, you know, I know that pornography is a much more widespread problem than we, than we care to talk about all of that. Um, but I am very happy to say that there are lots of good resources out there. And for, for me, Java with Julie is a podcast that I love and follow. And, um, you know, it's just good to hear people talk about, um, as I was saying earlier, God's design for sexuality versus just bashing all mm. of the sin and all of yeah. the, you know, you know, all of the evil of it, but like, upholding the beauty of it actually really makes a big difference, has made a big difference in my heart. Yeah. I had, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I had uh, someone in our, our, from our youth group back in the day message me one time because they, they somehow connected with this song. But I remember one time we did a purity uh, conference for a youth group and there was a really popular song at the time called life is good. Eternal life is better. And <laughs> yeah. I changed it to 
Sex is good. Married sex is better. Sex is good. <laughs> Married sex is better. Do you remember that, Kim? That sounds familiar. That sounds right. like you. Okay, cool. Uh, let's close up on this. I didn't want to touch on this, and, and uh, we'll send you off and encourage people to go check out your book. That's going to be coming out here uh, very, very soon. Uh, when's it coming out again? July 31st. July 31st. I want to talk about the importance of radical steps of faith uh, in our spiritual journey. Uh, I, I don't think you can be a legit follower of Jesus without your life and your journey be constantly filled with radical steps of faith. And you guys did the same thing. I mean, we weren't even connected to that this time, but man, here you are. You take a step of faith to move all the way to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Then you take another step of faith to move all the way back to Reno. Then that leads to the connection with your now husband. And then you take this epic step of faith to move all the way to Alabama. And uh, so just talk about that, taking radical steps of faith, how that's, that's worked in your life and, and, and what it's done in you as a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I would say um, publishing this book has been a very radical yeah, step, step of faith, faith for me. <laughs> um, and um, I mean, yeah, I guess when I look back on my life, I don't, I don't feel all that radical, but I do see where God has met me in every single thing he's asked me to do. He's, He's been there and equipped me to do it. And um, so, I mean, just knowing that, I mean, this is the adventure of the, the Christian walk. This is Amen. abundant life to like hear from God about something that he wants you to do and to say, this is really scary, but I'm going to do it. And you're with me and it's going to be awesome. So, um, yeah, it, uh, this book is very scary for me, but I just, <laughs> I know that, um you know, it's very encouraging to me that um, now literally there are friends who I've shared this with that, um, you know, are not believers and I can, I can share my book with them. And it's like, I don't even have to open my mouth and I know that they've heard (laughs) the gospel, you know, and it's amazing to me that um, I get so many people that are now going to hear my testimony and hear that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life without me even having to meet them. I mean, it's pretty incredible. And so um, just feel very um, privileged to get to partner with God in, in, things like this. <laughs> Amen. Greg, I'll let you chime in in just a second, but there's quote in your book. If there's one thing I learned about God's plan for me to have an abundant life, even in times of trial, it was that his family was a big part of it. And I love how you just keep hitting that point home and home again. And again, the, the, that truth not being, it's not just about going to church. It's about the community of faith. It's about putting godly people in your life. It's about having People, that, that that's the beautiful part of being a Christian is that we become a part of the church. And when you're a part of the church, the body of Christ, you begin to live the journey together and live life together. And it is such an amusing, uh, a beautiful thing. That is why I love to be a pastor. That's why I love to tell people to man, be a part of the church. And, and by that, I'm not meaning religious activity. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the church, the people of God. When you begin to live the journey of faith with other followers of Jesus, it is so amazing. So praise the Lord. It great. is amazing. Great. Yeah. You got anything else there? Well, I just want to say thank you so much for doing what you did. And we just want to encourage you to don't stop telling the story because people need to hear that. I and mean, it's an awesome testimony. And I hope to meet you in person someday along with your husband. 
Oh, thank you so much. Well, Kim, any last thoughts for us uh, on your book? I, well, I would say that the main message that God has put on my heart through the book is um, to share with people, you know, to, to fellow believers, to really consider whether you're ready to give your answer. And, yeah. um, and like I said, it's not just for the people who may or may not ask you why you're a Christian. It's for you. It's something that you can hold on to when, you're, when your faith is wavering and something that can anchor you and something that if you really define for yourself, whether it's, hey, this is a verse that means a lot to me and tells my story or whether it's just, hey, this is the reason or this is this amazing experience that I've had, whatever way you want to articulate it. But if you find that thing that you can hold on to, then if someone does ask you, it's easy to just have it on your lips. And so just want to encourage everyone to to have that ready. You know, everyone is not going to be called to write a book or to have this long-winded testimony, um, yeah. but everyone should have an answer. Yeah. You know, but, so. Praise God. Where can, where can people get the book at? It'll be available on Amazon on July 31st, and um, it'll just ready to give an answer, Kim Darnell. And it'll be on Kindle and paperback edition are going to be available. Awesome. Ready to give an answer by Kim Darnell. Go check it out. Amazon. Uh, and we didn't even cover. There's parts of your story about your, your, your children, your family, miscarrying. I mean, other so many powerful moments in your journey that I think are going to really help encourage people to follow Jesus. So Kim, thank you. You've been awesome. Oh, thank you for having me. It was so fun. We'll have to get you back. I'll have to get the one and only and world famous Chris Darnell back on the show on the Grace Point <laughs> Daily Podcast sometimes. So, hey, thanks for joining us. It has been awesome. And for those of you that are listening to the Grace Point Daily Podcast, I really, really appreciate it. Continue to like, share, and subscribe. We will talk to you next time. 